Yo guys, what's up? It's Lizzie Jane here. The year 2020 is finally coming to an end. Thank goodness. I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday this week if you're celebrating with family or staying at home and celebrating with friends or just your pets, you know, what have you. I hope it's a great week for you. Um, Today on the show, we have Skybreak and Paper Skies, two amazing young up-and-coming melodic bass producers. We talk about everything from their music on Rushdown with Harvey, also known as Chime, who I had on a few weeks ago, and their upcoming releases with Ophelia Records and Disciple. They have incredibly bright futures ahead of them, so please make sure to check out their music afterwards. I want to give a special thanks to everyone who has streamed my new single, Gas Me Up, on MG Records. This week we have Killin' Void, who is also another Rushdown artist on EXO Radio this Wednesday. And I've got a few surprises up my sleeve for you guys for 2021. So make sure to keep an eye on my socials, all at This Is Lizzie Jane. This episode was recorded on November 2nd, 2020. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Lizzie Jane, and you're tuning in to the XO Podcast. Yo, what's up, guys? This is Lizzie Jane, and you're tuning in to another episode of the XO Podcast. Today, we have two very special guests. We have Jack, otherwise known as Skybreak, Skybreak. and we have Dan, otherwise known as Paper Skies. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Glad to be here. Heck yeah. Absolutely. So we were just discussing that, Jack, you are in New Jersey right now, and Dan, you are in Toronto, correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. So tell me about kind of what's going on in your state in regards to COVID and like how everybody's staying inside. Like, are you personally staying inside? Like, is your family social distancing? Uh, well, over here, it's a bit complicated. Um, I know in a lot of the country at the moment, a lot of people are just like, fuck it. Let's just, let's just live life. Like we've always lived it. But, um, here there's just a really awkward balance like you have people that are ultra paranoid like i was supposed to chill with like a friend i haven't seen in ages this halloween and then last second he canceled because covid cases there was like 400 in the state one day and then like 450 in the state the next day and they're like well there's a rise i can't do it oh you have my people god that are like super paranoid like that and won't leave their house and then you have other idiots that like downright refuse to wear a mask because they think it's going to like literally kill them. It's so, it's uh, like that that it's like that anti-vaccine mentality where like they just believe they should like have their antibodies build up, but they don't understand they're putting other people in danger by doing that. So, yeah, exactly. You know, welcome to the states. There's um there's a bit of everyone here, and um the government's got a. Uh, they, they didn't used to have this, this same laissez-faire approach like because they kind of are confident that most people are going to use their brain. But uh, mm-hmm. cases, cases are on the rise again, and uh, it's, it's a weird scenario. But uh, has it affected my life much? No, because uh, I'm just a bedroom producer. <laughs> so so uh, you're 18. Are you still in school? Are you a senior? Uh, no, I uh, graduated this past year, and okay. I was supposed to go to college this year, but I'm in a gap year right now. Okay, cool. Where were you going to go? I was going to go to University of New Haven up in Connecticut. But um, that, uh, yeah, it's interesting what they're doing there because of COVID now. Uh, So some idiots had an off-campus party, apparently. And of course, (laughs) as as people do. And rather than trying to handle it rationally, they're locking everyone, not only in their dorms, but in their little dorm rooms. You're not allowed to go outside for a walk. You're not allowed to... You, you have to like sign out to use the bathroom in your what? dorm and everything. Yeah. And they deliver everyone the same meal, regardless of like peanut allergy or anything. So it's like, that's a lot. It's a shit show. It's a oh shit show. And you can either, yeah, you can either say, okay, I'm going to go home, but they won't refund you for everything like the pool and the fitness center and stuff like that. Or you can, um, stay in and just suffer in your little two by four cubicle. Uh, sounds like the gap year was a good idea. It really was. <laughs> I kind of saw this from a mile away. So, uh, but Holy it's been shit. all right. That's good. That's good. What about you, Dan? Um, yeah, I mean, start off with the COVID stuff here. Uh, there was a point in Toronto where it just totally chilled out. And uh, I made a tweet about it recently. 
I totally botched the numbers though, because I really don't care to get myself too involved in this kind of stuff. I just stay safe and follow the yeah. rules. Yeah. But um, yeah, there was like, I think a low of 33 cases a day being reported in Ontario. Um, and we got to a point where a company that I work for, we actually hosted a small patio party with COVID restrictions and distancing and like 50 people limit. Um, but it was nice because we could have people and still like a decent, you know, the size area that wasn't this huge parking, you know, car garage and, um, and hosted some, some pretty dope sets. It was a good time. And then, you know, things are kind of coming back in again, where we're hitting the second wave. Um, a lot of, uh, people I know, like know of people with COVID or have gone down, I don't know as many people, but still some affected. Um, and then me personally, I know I mentioned to you before we started, but I got some health conditions where I'm a decent risk of, uh, of not doing all right if I were to get it. Yeah. So um, I've been kind of quarantining myself for that reason. Uh, it was a bit of a bummer because on Halloween, I made plans to see two of my friends and then they hit me up and were like, oh, actually, we're going to go to a party. And I was like, party? What the? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what are you guys boy. doing? And then, uh, but yeah, it's, it's the idea that like, I wouldn't have gone regardless, of course, but I can't even with, with what's going on. So it's upsetting seeing people outside and doing this but to be fair i think people are doing a decent job of staying safe that's why numbers went down so hard the first time i think it will it'll come back around again yeah i mean i definitely think canada has taken the a better uh and more perfected approach to the whole situation than the united states i mean i understand the united states is bigger but uh canada's done very well like trace by trace tracking i guess for the most part where we've just kind of like we lost that in the first three weeks of like march where it just completely exploded but i'm seeing um that happen in other places because i live in florida so like we stayed like closed long enough for people to get over having a tolerance to alcohol to just like open up again and it's just like there were crazy events um all this past weekend and it's wild because I, there are like clubs open and everything. And I have a residency at a club here and they're throwing like pod shows and like masks mandatory. Like if you don't have a mask, you're getting kicked out, like yeah. all of that shit. And even that's like pushy. And like you walk out of our club and there's like bars and other clubs that are not like EDM focused yeah. and no one's got a fucking mask on. Like I went into yeah, a bar no, the other day. Yeah. And they looked at me like I was like an alien, like I was fucking insane for having a mask on. And it's just so crazy because you have like these agents and these managers coming down with these artists playing in these like venues and they're like looking around and they're like, this is like a different country. This is just wild. I think a big part of it is just that there's this idea, I think more in the US than anywhere in the world that COVID is almost tied to a lot of the political views that are going around and especially yes. with all the voting and everything happening there that's all up in the air. People Our are first mistake was politicizing a fucking pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's causing a lot of disrest because you know wearing a mask or not in some for some people's minds, I guess like determines your views. Whereas in Canada, I mean at least we've been chilling with the same guy for a little while now. Nothing really is going on. So we're just focused on the pandemic and not all these other problems, right? Yeah. And people are just being so selfish and like, you're absolutely correct. It's just wild that there's a worldwide pandemic, but yet the states are politicizing it. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a wild, a wild ride. I'm, I'm very interested to see how this like next week pans out with the election and, and if they're going to announce somebody, if it's going to be debated or argued against, which I'm highly anticipating, but I don't know. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen, Jack? Oh God! Um, <laughs> without revealing too many view of my views to alienate the viewers, um, I don't fine, think it's going to be an easy one. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. an easy. It's not going to be an easy one. It's um, it's been a really really stressful. Like I've personally have lost friends over this, and I wouldn't I wouldn't mind like maybe two years ago if you had a different opinion to me. Like okay, like whatever, that's your opinion. But this year when. There's sh- clubs are opening up in Japan and China, like Asia. They had it down to a T South Korea. People can go do whatever the fuck they want mm-hmm. slightly cautiously, but because of all the fucking numb nuts that are all like, Oh, you can't take away my right to breathe or whatever. It's just like, I've had friends that literally say, Oh, I don't want to wear a mask. And they're in such a state of denial that everything is getting better because everything gets better after three months. It's just like, I, I've literally have stopped talking to people because of it. And if they didn't fucking politicize this and we all did, the government just said, okay, let's just, let's just sit here for a second and like contemplate this and like work together. But obviously they just love to just get people fired up because, Oh, American pride and American values. It's just, 
Well, it's just so crazy that like I was talking to uh, Josh from Modestep the other day and we were talking about how there's these third party politicians who are trying to run and trying to bring the two separate parties together. And then they're like all of a sudden banned on Facebook and banned on Twitter and they don't have a voice and their voice is being silenced because like they want this division. And it seems like our government wants this division among people. And I feel like our nation is as divided as it's ever been for the last few decades. It's just crazy. Definitely. It's fucking terrifying. Like it really has just become uh, some people call calling the everyone else Antifa and other people calling each other like right wing numb nuts and stuff. And it's just like, it's wild. Just like we're human beings. There's there are people in between that just want to like live their lives. But it seems every day, if you fall even slightly onto one side, they're gonna try and make you think that the other side is ghastly and you can't be friends with anyone on the other side. Absolutely. Regardless. And it's like crazy, like seeing how like some people are parents' age act in like the the out kind of landish things that are being said on Facebook and like X, Y, and Z. And I feel like our generation just has like a completely different outlook and different like sense of of like morals and how we approach things than I feel like people who are a few generations older than us. And I think that's just like the evolution of time and the evolution of of how we view things. But I truly believe that like my generation and your generation have the power to kind of foam our foam and form our future into what it's going to be in the next two to three decades. I think Hopefully. instead of getting all riled up with issues and getting mad at people, people just need to work more to, to educate, you know, like I, I can't stand, I guess some of the cancel culture on Twitter and how, you know, there's, there's like young kids who are messing up and saying really stupid things. Like, of course, but instead of kind of teaching them a lesson, like anybody, you know, should to a kid, Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like, let's shun this person out, you know, or make fun of them or just use harsh words against them for no apparent reason, even if they mean literally nothing. Um, and that kind of attitude isn't going to be taken well, like it's just going to lead to more, you know, that person bugging you because they're not going to agree with your views if you're just being rude to them. And like with the social media thing, I just feel like people are like angry at the world just because yeah. of everything going on, whether they've lost their job, they've lost a relationship, a friendship, something that they had been working towards that like, personally, I'm sure you all know, as well as myself, like 2020 was supposed to be a very big year for a lot of yeah. our colleagues, you know, whether it was yourself or your best friends who are artists. And, you know, we've all lost something like we've all had to make sacrifices for it. But it's, it's kind of, like taking that 30 second break before you type something and send something on to, like on a social media platform because you know if these people were were sitting whether it was webcam to webcam or face to face across the table from each other they would never say things like this most people yeah. would never have the guts to say that there're certain things that they're saying on Twitter and it just makes me so mad because it's like I totally understand we're in a pandemic and I totally understand all of the stuff but you've got these consumers or listeners that are involved in in the scene of electronic music and these people who spend their, you know, their livelihoods on going to raves, going to festivals. And you guys all know those kids. And, and it's like some of them act like they don't want a scene to come back to. And they're just, you know, and it's just like, if we keep pushing down this direction and, and the cancel culture keeps going. And I think it's lightened up a little bit, but I'm scared to see what's going to happen after the election because people just want to take out, their issues on other people who they don't relate to personally or know personally or care about personally. And it's just like what, what Pat and I were talking about was the fact that there may not be a scene to come back to if, if we keep going down this road and we go, you know, we completely shut down again. And I feel like there's a happy medium that we have to find as an industry because you look at like sports industries and, and they're open the Bucks down the street from me are having games with 40,000 people every week. You know, how crazy is that? During this like time of quarantine, have you guys just been like pumping away at music? I mean, you guys have been totally. releasing yeah. pretty, pretty consistently. I know like the whole like quote unquote bedroom producer thing. I know that fits you guys like mold for mold. So I feel like this is like a dream time. Look at, there you go. <laughs> bedroom producer done and done. But you know, have you guys taken this time to really like experiment and be like, okay, what the fuck can I do that? I normally wouldn't be on a deadline or a timeline to finish. Yeah. I'll let you start Sky, Cause I feel like I'm definitely going to go off topic. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. So 
what's kind of helped works for me is I actually self-impose deadlines. But uh, this year, I definitely, even before quarantine, I was just very fascinated by the style of like Ace Aura or whatever. And just that melodic that convolution movement. reverb, convo reverb, except I do a different thing, which I might get into. Okay. But, um, that's okay. I've definitely, I came from a very melodic direction to start with. Like a lot of these dub people trying out future rhythm and stuff, uh, kind of were starting out as like dubstep producers that already knew all the sound design tricks and stuff. I came from a very different community. I made a lot of super saw epic melodies stuff, um, mm-hmm. last year. And so this year, I really just kind of wanted to challenge myself to like get good at sound design. So I've been doing sound design jam after sound design jam, watching YouTube video after YouTube video. And I've just really been trying to expand my more production side of the palette because I have a fuckload more time to do it. Mm-hmm. So who are some of your favorite I, YouTube videos to watch Like when it comes uh, to sound design? Definitely AU5's project breakdowns have yes. absolutely been monumental for me. Not only yes. for just like like specific sound design techniques, but just generally like his experimental mindset is just like ever since I implanted that into myself, I feel like I've taken so many more risks with my music. And I will say some of my unreleased content is genuinely some of the best music I've ever written, like hands down, like y'all ain't seen nothing yet. He's a genius. Oh yeah, he's oh, he's you. an absolute genius. He's some of my favorite tutorials as well. So uh what about you? Yeah, um I've been I mean this goes back a bit, but for the last uh year and a half I was running a record label called O4 Collective and that was taking up like majority of my time. Um it was something I don't think that would caught on to a big audience, but the community that we built I think was really dedicated and I'm particularly so so happy with uh with all the artists and the talent that we were able to bring on board. Okay. Um, discography like I'm, I'm just blown away by by some of the works that these guys have been able to crank out uh, the numbers of followers that they have um but i spent most of my time doing that and really diving into like the business side of music mm-hmm. and uh, taking a different approach to learn how to promote myself on spotify uh, through different socials target the the average audience just average listening audience um instead of just that producer circle that's on you know twitter and soundcloud and the places that we're used to interacting with every day yep um, and it was super, super useful. But then after about a year and a half of doing that, I realized it was taking up more time than like a full-time job. Spending yeah. like six to 12 hours a day working on this. I think anyone who, you know, has worked with the label. Um, it's a lot. The amount of work you got to take on, especially if you have a small team. Um, and I'm down to approach the idea again, but we, we took a pause on it. And we, I want to come back to the idea maybe three, four years or so. Uh, just when I have more funds to work with and I'm able to hire a bigger team. Because I, I saw no real decline in the work that we were doing. Things were consistently growing and we were getting more notable artists taking note of our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just was something that was so much of my time that for me personally, when I'm not established in my life, it wasn't good to be spending all of this time working on establishing other people sort of deal. Absolutely. Um, coming back to it, I think would help, but that was a major thing I was doing during COVID. Uh, only stopped that, I think about a month ago, month and a half ago now. And since then, I've just been back on music, focusing on Paper Skies. I've got releases set up every month for, I have like, I don't know, endless time. Like, just lots of releases set up. Um, That's tons awesome. Of, uh, tons of new content, too, besides music. Like, me and Sky just finished up a huge back-to-back mix that we premiered yesterday night that got really, really Heck good yeah. receptions. We got on the front page of Twitch and everything. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, That's it, fucking awesome. What event was, really was that fun. for? I know, I know it was a virtual event. It was like Virtual Base or something, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just me and Sky have been working together. I think a lot more recently, and just finding ways to kind of merge our styles and get new content out. Do you guys have like a collab in the works or anything like that? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. not. You also played um, the Minecraft festival, right? Yeah, uh, Disciple Block Party. That was so fucking surreal. I know you've had a ton of guests that are like a little bit more bigger, prestigious than me. But uh, imagine all of a sudden after about six years of producing and like being inspired by these people, you're suddenly just thrown into a VC with fucking Fox Stevenson, Virtual Riot, like Mode Step and all these like crazy names that I've been listening to literally since I was like 10 years old. Trust me, that moment for me was not that long ago. So I understand. Yeah. You have to pretend not to be a massive fanboy and just like keep your cool. Like, yeah, I can do this. Okay. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, I'm one of you guys. Don't worry. I blend right in. Like, um, Without going into too much, I kind of, it almost felt like I was wandering into like an area that like I didn't belong or something, but uh, I'm sure that feeling will ease a little bit, but it just feels like, 
Uh, so it was just so sudden. Like it just kind of felt like that moment was when all the hard work I'd been putting in kind of just exploded, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I mean, that's such a huge achievement. I did a few of the, you know, when live shows were still a thing. Disciple did the uh kind of they did the Disciple Kingdom stops. And I played the Kingdom Stop in Brooklyn with all of them. And I played in Orlando with all of them. And that was like super, super surreal. But you had an official remix from the remix competition drop yeah. for Oliver's, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's like super dope. And that's like uh, a very cool way to get in with them because Rossi and everyone who runs the label are just so sweet and they're and they're such good people and it's like they're one of the only labels that are actually ran um I shouldn't say it like this uh they're ran fully by artists like everyone from their A&R to you know you'll have uh people like deadbeats and stuff who are who are ran and curated by artists but they're not always artists who actually run the label who are A&Rs who do marketing x y and z but at disciple you got People from Terra Vida, you have Dodge and Fusky, you have uh, one of the members of Vandals, and that's like it. And then the rest of the artists just cultivate together, and it's almost like a collective versus a label that's very exclusive. And sure. and and it's it's really really cool. And those guys are very happy for you because those guys are awesome to be intertwined with. And and kind of going to that, I discovered Chime through Disciple, and you all both have had releases on Rushdown. Now, how was it working with Harvey? Was it dope to kind of connect with him how did you guys kind of fall into place with his label i've um i was when i think the earlier guys to get on that's still kind of around it's not from the original roster that they had Mm -hmm. a message probably like four years ago or something i had an ep called the skies ep which looking back not completely garbage but the mix was like a throwout (laughs) i sent that over to them i was like cool dude what do you think of this tune um he was like i'm interested but uh said more in the future and then after hanging out in a server one day, I was just tossing stuff in VC. And I guess he was looking through our text channel, just happening to see what we were talking about without joining the voice channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kicked, clicked on a clip of mine, which is like a website where you can just kind of upload your files. Yep. Um, and he was like, dude, this is super sick. Uh, got me in contact with Lone Moon. And then I did my first song with them. Yeah, I think it was three, four years ago now uh, called Cosmos. And I've been around since. He's Harvey is like one of the sweetest people in the He's world. He's wonderful. Um, I know he was getting a bit of flack on Twitter, uh, not too recently. Dude, uh, fuck for- people. I hate all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just put out a, a tweet kind of defending him, not for the reason of being like, oh, like all of you guys suck. Like, why are you guys making fun of him? But just because I was so tired of seeing it because it literally made no sense to me at all, having met the guy and spoken to him. And it was just like hopping on the bandwagon of cancel culture to an extent of like, yeah. here's someone who's worked so fucking hard and mm-hmm. harder than most people. And for a very long time in this subgenre that everyone has turned their head to for so long until quarantine, because what I think is very special about the music that that you all produce and the music that Harvey has tried to push through as Chime and then curating Rushdown is cohesive bodies of art versus um, you know, the traditional, the rest of the song, but the drop doesn't really matter. And I think that was something that because of festivals and and clubs and X, Y, and Z, the upcoming DJ and artists always had um, a goal for bigger producers and bigger artists like Excision and, you know, what have you to play out your songs. So you had to make a banger track that kind of sounded like everybody else's, but was hard enough to get their notice. And now when clubs don't exist and when people aren't hearing uh, the songs on on huge PK sound, whatever sound systems, people are sitting at home just in chairs like we are now and they want to listen to music that they can do work to. They want to listen to music that they can study to, run errands, X, Y, and Z. And people don't want to hear nothing and then a really heavy drop and then nothing and then another heavy drop that sounds exactly the same as the first drop. They want to hear like a cohesive body of art. And and when I came on to Rushdown, I was like, holy fucking shit. Cause I come from like uh post-hardcore kind of tech metalcore stuff before I got into EDM. So all of that stuff is very harmony, technical based, music theory, knowledge based. And this was an equivalent to what I had kind of been into in other genres. And um it's just really fucking cool to see all of these guys kind of start to come up. And and in regards to, you know, Harvey getting some slack, 
I think there's so few people doing this legitimately that yeah. there's really room for everyone. There's room for more than one label doing it. That's my yeah. opinion. No, for sure. I think that like the, the love-hate relationship right now between Future Rhythm and Color Base, for me personally, I don't even like to get involved in it because it just non-exists in my brain. I don't understand how people can be up in arms about it. But um, mm -hmm. I think uh, there's, there's, again, like place for everywhere to sit and people should be less focused on making a certain genre or a certain style and just kind of doing what they want. And in my, you know, all the years that I've been at Rushdown, um, I've seen from the point where Ace Aura got involved, uh, how the sound has kind of shifted and how mm -hmm. the artists have kind of been reflective of that. And it's made Rushdown a lot, feel a lot more like a family and a collective of artists kind of unifying a certain sound. But um, in the case of, of myself, and I can, I can vouch for, I'd say most of the artists that Rushdown, we are realistically just trying to create our own styles of music. Like sure, the influence comes from other artists, um, maybe some more than others, but like myself, I've always just stuck to the sound that I've wanted to produce um, and been able to get content out just naturally that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. What was your first release right. on Rushdown and how did you meet Harvey? Um, well, my first release on Rushdown was uh, <laughs> Whispers in the Forest was my first release, right? Oh, I, I always could get them confused with Angels and Demons. I just blank out 2019 for some reason. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so um, it's actually a funny story. Uh, Neil and I have been friends for about three years, Neil being storyboard. And um, he lives in Connecticut. I live in New Jersey. So of course, the central point is New York City. So yeah. uh, one day last... February, I think we were chilling in like a Discord call and I just thought, hey, like, why haven't we chilled in the city yet? And he was like, wait a second, that's a good point. So like that weekend we chilled, we went out for ramen. We just kind of walked around the city. I missed my first train. So I had to like dick around with him for an hour. Oh no! Um, so we just kind of sat next to New York Penn Station in like this little plaza area. And he was like, collab, bro. I was like, yeah, let's do that. Because at that point, he had confirmed his release for uh, Castles in the Sky, which was his Rushdown yeah. debut. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we were like, okay. So um, we go we go back to our houses. Uh, that night, we come up with like a super cool idea. And we just kind of, we worked really well together on it. We tried to give it like a Zelda vibe. And he sent it to Harvey, and that was that. And then, what do you know? They, I, did, I wasn't expecting Rushdown to be such of like an inclusive, like cool family. I was just like... Okay, here we go. Another release. Like, I'm excited to see where this one goes. But it ended up being, in my opinion, a release that was such a great gateway into so many other awesome opportunities. Absolutely. I'm really, so I'm really grateful I missed that train. <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh, how I kind of discovered you both was through Harvey's label for sure. I mean, yeah. had you guys been independently releasing or releasing on like other labels prior to working with Harvey? Um, I was doing a lot of independent releases prior to working with him. And even ever since I've been on Rushdown, most of my releases have been kind of just all over the place. But I mean, I continue to stay like as gauged with the uh, Rushdown community as I can. But mm -hmm. yeah, releases have been all over the place. Um, I've really been pushing my music, I think, in the gaming community. Uh, I've got a lot of young listeners. And that's why I try to usually keep my cool on Twitter. Recently, it has not been. <laughs> but um, try and keep things nice and organized just because I know I've got a lot of uh, younger faces that are kind of there, especially from the Geometry Dash community. Um, I've had some of my tracks be in like Geometry Dash custom levels that have gotten like hundreds of thousands of downloads. What? And I had not, no idea until recently. I was like, what the hell? That's crazy. Uh, but those people will grow with you too, especially since oh, they're sure. younger, you know. But Sharks, shout out to him. <laughs> he, He's uh, great. We love Sharks. He told me to start up uploading to Newgrounds and it was such a good decision, especially for the type of music that I'm making. Uh, being originally uh, a lot less on the dubstep side and more like Skyberg was saying, focused on just like melodies and uh, cool drum patterns and things that are a lot easier, I think, to make into a jumpy video game kind of experience compared to like a heavy dubstep tune. So you said you were uploading to, to something called Newgrounds? Yeah, Newgrounds is like a, a sharing site that's been around for a super long time for animators, musicians, uh, level create, video game creators, um, tons of stuff. It's this creative community. It was really popular uh, in the earlier 2000s, and it's kind of died out more now. But the one single game, Geometry Dash, has managed to keep it alive just because musicians will upload their music, and then kids will make levels, and tons of other kids will play those. Wow, that's fucking crazy. My, um, my boyfriend just got a VR setup downstairs in our gaming room, big gamers. And um, 
I don't know what he has, but you you can create game levels in VR in the certain like game that he has. And that's really cool that that kids can kind of handpick your music and, and do stuff like that. Because I feel like, I mean, I talked to Harvey Chime and he would write music based on an individual level of a video game. Like he's mm-hmm. written a lot based on like the Super uh, Mario Kart games and stuff that he did when he was like a kid. And I think that's really dope. And I feel like there's such, there's great money and, and there's such like a home uh, for the music that you guys predominantly make in video games. And like uh, labels like Monster Cat and other labels really work closely with these guys like Rocket Lead and stuff. I know um, AU5 and, and Chime just had, uh, I think their song called Voidwalkers in Rocket League this yeah. year, yeah. which is crazy. It's crazy. Um, I think one important thing for any artist, no matter what style of music you're making, is to target multiple niches. Because mm-hmm. if you're just aiming for one wide category, you're not really going to be able to explode beyond a certain point. It's kind of like a brick wall that you're going to hit. And if you look at any real, real major successful artists, and I say successful is not a couple hundred thousand listens a day, but upwards of a million. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like Marshmallow, Skrillex, the reason why they're so big is because looking at, for example, Marshmallow, who I'm not the biggest fan of his music per se, but the way that he does his business and the kind of audience he targeted is a super good reference point to look at. There's mm-hmm. the whole gaming community, very young kids. Um, he's got rap, you know, that's a whole completely different side. The pop stuff that he's doing on the radio, merchandise, random shows, like stuff on Instagram and just targeting and having multiple streams of like creating content for people to actually in- ingest instead of just one thing repeated every once in a while that you're hyping up. That's how you really garner like a huge community. And it's something I'm trying to work on myself right now. Um, but it's hard to to break out of those, those small circles and, and know which communities are the right ones to target for you in that moment. Because depending on what you're making, and if you look at an artist like Virtual Riot, I think that's what his attempt over the last few years has been with making dubstep and then future bass and then gaming music and then kind of moving all over the place is that you're grabbing all these places. And that's why I think he's such a known figure on Disciple compared to, I mean, a lot of the other dubstep artists who have been focusing on dubstep for just as long as he has, but primarily dubstep, right? Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, it's just, and it's very much so trial and error. And to have those different demographics that that uh, exist independently instead of mushed together is, you're correct, so, so, so important. And I think that's a, a lot of the issues where a lot of producers, DJs, whatever, in the strict EDM community face and they reach this block or this wall where they can't go any further, but they've already made it so far and they have a hard time circling back to a lower level in a different demographic field and growing up. So they just become stagnant. And I feel like with the next generations of artists coming up, especially during this time of quarantine where you've had to become really simply innovative in what you're doing, especially for example, if you're here in the United States on a, on an artist visa and all you can do is make money off of performing or doing something, re, you know, related to your talent um, is becoming innovative with how you're presenting your music and using your music. Like I have a publicist for the music that I make that isn't Lizzie Jane related. So it can be shopped out to see, you know, if X, Y, and Z is interested in using it in an, in an independent film or a commercial or, or stuff like that. And you've been doing the same thing in gaming. And I mean, what do you think about that, Jack? Is that something you're interested in doing kind of down the line? Well, potentially making like music for video games. Yeah. That would honestly be a dream because um, video games have definitely influenced the way I work and, uh, Kind of going off on a bit of a tangent here, uh, right. I actually had a conversation with my buddy Volant uh, a few months ago about how kind of the music that we listen to very subconsciously as as kids, like when we would, when I, for me, I'm a youngster, youngster, youngster that's the word. Yeah. So I played a lot of Wii games. So I use a lot of quirky like Mario Kart, like chord progressions and like Zelda-ish mel- melodies and like, I don't know, that kinds of stuff. A lot of anime chords, a lot of Sonic-y, Milky leads. Like, yeah. um, obviously, my ear, that's going to be what I gravitate towards writing. Whereas Volant uh, was a very big PlayStation 2 person. So they would they love those choppy drum breaks, those, like, ravey 90s shitty sound card type beats. Um, yeah. So that's obviously going to influence what I'm doing subconsciously. So uh, if that circled back around to making more video games, I think that would be simply awesome because being influenced by something as a kid really ingrades it in your mind. So I feel like it would be not only a breeze, but a blast, you know? In fact, some days I almost think that's 
the career that's more for me because my music doesn't necessarily go dummy live, most of it. So, But I think that's starting to change. I think when we go back, people are going to love to hear the kind of music that you guys are making because people have never gotten the ex- like to experience it live. I feel like the only types of like melodic takes that you've really ever seen live is more like the Elenium Seven Lions kind of melodic direction. And I feel like melodic rhythm, color base, whatever you want to call it, because it's really the same thing, goes fucking off live because it's got all of these layers that's not atonal, which is what the traditional you know, dubstep bass structure usually follows. And instead of that, you've got the saw waves and the bass and the resampling and you've got the layers and, and all of this stuff that just makes up for a massive sound on a club system. I think at any style of music, though, like it's just about being a good DJ and knowing how to DJ your type of music, you know, Correct. Like, but whether it's chill stuff or it's something heavy, it can always be a good set. You just have to know how to get the audience into it, especially if it's not the type of music that they're used to hearing uh, in a live setting. Like I know some of my favorite sets that I've ever been to. I've definitely been some chill ones, guys like San Holo, Flume. Um, Flume but I've been yeah. to tons, 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 way more. In fact, like heavy kind of like thrasher dubstep sets. And they all have the same impact, but in different types of ways, because these DJs know how to create the environment for their set. So in yeah. the case of uh, me and Jack, we were even saying after premiering our, our set that we made yesterday, how cool it would be for us to do you know, an actual back-to-back one day, just because like the music yeah. falls in line with a certain style. And to us having enough like original content just between the two of us to fill up a whole set and have it stay consistent in terms of the emotion you want to feel, but not so consistent that it's boring. There's a lot of switch ups, a lot of different changes of pace, style, genre, but the same sort of set of sounds and uh, and the way you're going to perceive it. It's not too hard on the ears, a lot lighter, more colorful, crystally. And um, every artist has their own words they can kind of use to describe what that experience is. It's so much brighter. And I and I always used to like reference it when people didn't really know what it was like three or four years ago as like intelligent dubstep. Because I feel like it makes you like think like you're like, oh, shit. And and but there's yet like a cohesiveness to it. Like if you listen through, you know, I'm sure any one of your virtual sets or, or like one of Chimes live sets, it, there's all of these changes and there's key changes and and and, you know, vocalists and all of that stuff. But yet there's still like that same riding consistency through the whole hour, 90 minute set. Um, have you guys like kind of had your take at playing a bunch of live shows yet or no 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 okay okay what about you i was just actually about to start my first live show like the week that quarantine like hit when we went actually even when the news of corona was still going out they were like no dude we're gonna get you out right before it hits don't worry don't worry and then next thing you know it goes but um it gave me a cool opportunity what basically happened was i messaged the owner of this company called base army in toronto who does a lot of local shows i know them yep yeah and they i hit them up and was like hey uh, I'm a local artist. I've uh, never played a show before. Any chance you'd be interested in giving me a spot, right? And the owner got back to me and was like, this is not really how it works. Try again later sort of deal, right? <laughs> um, and I was like, oh man, that sucks. But then he messaged me on his personal account later and was like, oh, actually I have your track Comet in my playlist. I was listening to it with my girlfriend like in the car the other day. I was shit dude i'm telling you right now somebody who does like talent buying for like a regional at a regional level like being a an actual producer in this day and age will put you ahead of any fucking dj so the fact that you have a discography and a catalog yes it's important to learn cdjs yes it's important to have song selection and not suck because at the end of the day uh, no matter who it is, you want somebody who's going to be able to read a room and control it well. But at the same time, bringing that catalog that you both already have to the table, you, you guys already have 40% to 60% of the game beat. You're bringing because, like, the experience then that's unique, you know, because you're not playing yes. out other people's music or other people's ideals of what their set should be. It's, it's really your own. You're creating it from scratch. Yes. And, and especially when you have musicians and artists like myself in the talent buying position, which doesn't doesn't happen uh, very uh, often. But when yeah. it does happen, there's a huge level of respect for people like you because and, and the average consumer, too, who's really involved in like the electronic dance music scene can tell when somebody's playing their own music and they can tell when somebody's playing just everybody yeah. else's music, you know, virtual riot into mode step into excision into somebody else. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you're playing a good set, but but what makes you special and what makes you unique? And I think that's something that 
all of you guys on Rushdown and everybody on Halicon and everybody really on Disciple brings to the table is the fact that you guys have curated your own set of sounds, which is what 90% of this industry never does. Mm. And, and, and it's really cool. It's really, it's really special. And I think your, your time of not playing live shows will change drastically once we kind of get over this yeah. mountain of, of a pandemic. I'm Don't know I, when that's going to be, but yeah, who knows? I'm Tomorrow. glad because I didn't, um, I didn't, hadn't learned <laughs> how to DJ before that. And I didn't have, I still don't have my own set of decks. So I really just messaged this guy being like, Oh, I'll wing this. You know what I mean? Like really not understanding any fundamental of DJing. Yeah. Um, but then when uh, Corona hit and everything, uh, the company was like, oh shit, you know, what are we going to do now? Um, and me and one of the guys named Chris on the set, shout out to him. He's awesome. Um, he, uh, we put together like an idea of putting, you know, online sets together as those were still kind of like a rising trend before yeah. it was like a consistent thing. Um, and we figured out how to get that going and kind of turned parts of the company around by still letting a lot of artists have opportunities. And I played my first set technically online. So I've never done anything in person, which is good because I'd rather save that for like, you know, real special experience for me to bring out my friends and do everything. Yeah. And with like an actual crowd, not a crowd at like 25% capacity. For sure. So um, saving that time, I guess, for that. But the online sets have been great. And uh, the company has been nice enough to let me borrow their like full CDJ set whenever. Um, and I've had it for like weeks at a time and I'll just throw down like, that's perfect. I've been practicing like crazy and I can't wait to actually show it off. Fuck. Yeah. What about, what about you? Um, well, I could tell you about the first time I DJed about two years ago, (laughs) if you want. Okay. Go for it. Let's just say it was such an experience that I only, I only picked up, I touched the, the controller somewhere over there. I had to clear off the dust because I was so fucking embarrassed. Um, oh. So I played a local show, Food Truck Festival, unpaid, obviously. In fact, I'm surprised I didn't have to pay to play. <laughs> and uh, I asked, uh, I'm, I show up, I, I say, all right, y'all got like RCAs or like XLRs like I can plug in, like to plug my controller in. And they're like, no, here's an aux cable. I can't wear my headphones. I have to fucking, I have to DJ on a CDJ can or not a CDJ, uh, Pioneer DDJ SB2. I have to DJ on that. Only hearing the speakers. Can't do any of my transitions in advance. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I play my set. It's abysmal. And then my laptop dies halfway through. So it's just, I'm just standing there on stage like, nice. Oh, Because of course it took them like three years to take down the previous band and put me up. So I was just like, (laughs) <laughs> you know what? For, for now, if and this is actually what I said, I'm actually really proud because at this point now I'm actually getting asked to DJ again. But I promised myself I am not going to touch this controller again until I'm good enough at music production that someone wants me to touch it. Absolutely, <laughs> so, and like that's like a great fucking motto to have too, because it's like everybody and their brother wants to be a DJ. They want to do it because they really don't understand the back end of it, and they don't understand the hard work that actually comes with it, unless you're like a trust fund baby. And, and it's like a lot of fucking work. And the first thing that I tell people when they come to me and they're like, you know, how do I approach this? What do I do? I'm sure you guys get those messages too. Sometimes I'm just like, learn how to produce. Cause DJing is like easy as fuck. Like, like if you know how to count to four, like you can DJ and over time you'll get a lot better and you'll like listen to sets of people within your subgenre, and you'll, you'll learn how to curate things. You'll learn how to make edits. But the hardest part of it is like, getting into DJing and getting traction behind you and then having people learn that you have no discography and no songs and no and anything. That I think, you know, like kind of break that, that boundary though. I don't know if you've seen uh, DJ, you say B flow. No, I have Dude, not. Is, wait, wait, wait. Is he, no, is he the one who does the crazy, the routines, the chopping yeah. routines? He's the I Twitter guy. Stuff. Yeah. The Twitter guy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah no, I've, I've, I've seen him see, but that I look at that different. I look at that almost like a modification of vinyl because there's very few people who do routines like that. Subtronics being one of them where he doesn't really do routines like he used to. Uh, Cod dubs is one of them. Al Ross sometimes does DJ, uh, does the routine. Squinto does the routines. And I feel like that's a different level of 
art. Whereas you look at the typical yeah. DJ producer and they've got their edits, they've got their cue set, A, B, bring in the next track at B of the last track. And that's all it is. But when you have those guys who are running four tracks at the same time and they're taking, you know, beat two of this track and beat four of this track and the pickup note on the other track and then they're throwing it all together and they're EQing everything out. That's a different art in itself. And I respect that a shit ton. He was actually one of the first DJs I've ever met before. Um, and one of the first people that's into EDM music in Toronto that I've kind of met. Oh, he's um, in Toronto. Yeah. So when I've got involved with the company, um, that was my first step into really meeting anyone in Toronto who was into EDM music. Like I've kind of gone my whole life just doing it independently because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, just working away at my own music, but not having anyone to kind of share the experience with at least locally. Yeah, uh, but going there, met I met so many people, and he's under the same booking management as me with Base Army and everything. Um, so we're all working with him. I actually, after that story I was telling earlier, got hired really shortly after as the graphic designer for Base Army. So I do oh, all their yeah. posters and everything now, um, which is great because it gives me an opportunity to kind of help network my friends uh, yeah. into possibly doing something in the future in Toronto. Um, but meeting him, I think right off the bat was insane, just for the reason of like. He showed me how, you know, DJing can be more than just DJing. It can be an art as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's inspired me to, especially when I have the opportunity to have the decks here, I'm just sitting on this table, um, just actually spend time to, to learn it as an art and not really something where you're just setting up your cues, transitioning from one to the other, um, and trying to just force myself to work outside my comfort zone and get uncomfortable with it, throw down these quads that I might not be ready to do yet. Um and just fuck around, honestly. He's he's been great. I'm really happy to see guys that, like you said, aren't into the production stuff 100, percent but finding ways and finding those niches to to market themselves and really explode. Because he's gone from I believe a couple hundred followers since I first met him to like 5k on Twitter in the last month or something. It's definitely like Crazy. a niche concept, and I think that stuff. I think like PopCon's a prime example of that. Is where like you're seeing these guys who would normally not even get the time of day because we're in like quarantine. Everybody has their eyes on Twitter, their eyes on Instagram, their eyes on Facebook, you know, TikTok, whatever. And they're giving these opportunities to people who are just creating good content because yeah, at the end of the day, so few people actually create good content mm-hmm. and and like engaging content and educational content. And and I think it's really cool. Like I know uh Jack, you do like some uh tutorials and breakdowns on youtube right heck yeah i also do uh weekly twitch streams and that has been integral to bring up my brand okay have you seen like a like a cool back-end response from that for sure oh definitely um i started out back in march with just my entire layout was the cover of my debut album or my not my debut my second album above the clouds it was just that with no text or anything a webcam and FL studio. And that was the layout. And I started off with like 10 viewers, but on yeah. Twitch, um, I actually attribute Twitch to anyone actually giving a fuck. Cause then people are browsing that all over looking for someone to review their tune for any form of promo. Yep. And that's absolutely. A really, that's a really niche fan base. So as I started to more and more of them, I tried my best to give high quality feedback and provide high quality content. Now people pay um, for that. That's like a lesson. Yeah. It's a lesson. And, um, Basically, every week, uh, I've seen a bit of growth on my stream. I've changed at least one thing, no matter how subtle on the layout. Uh, The layout's getting better and better. The fan base is getting better and better. And people, that's got my name out there quite a bit. Like, doing Twitch is the best thing I did this year, like, hands down. Because it's also really fun. I just get to fuck around in an FL studio for an hour and listen to good music. Like, And it's, like, (laughs) a great way to relate with, like, um, fan base or new fans who you would not really talk to ever and and you get a totally different demographic of people who are on twitch opposed to like every other mainstream form of social media and i've noticed the same thing too because i do the feedback demo streams and i try and do that you know weekly and when when march came around though i was doing like a dj set a production stream and a feedback stream because i was like this is the way it's going to go that's when you saw everybody start to do streams everybody start to do this and that but i think uh you and i kind of sit on the same level where We're not on a channel where you're getting like, oh, the only way I'm going to review your feedback stream is if you subscribe to me or if you submit it in the Discord. You're just there to like uh, engage and and give them actually quality feedback. And I feel like people who normally wouldn't get the time of day or don't necessarily have the funds because everybody's struggling to make a donation or make a subscription. I mean, those people are kind of indebted to you and will really appreciate you for the rest of, you know, hopefully your career and follow you on your way up. 
No, definitely. And it's just like, if you're giving them this stuff for free, you're giving them this stuff for free. Like, yeah. uh, I know eliminate, you have to sub to just do feedback. I know yep. bandles, it's like 15 bucks for instant feedback, but these people, if you, they're going to see you listen to their song and it's just like, you really just get to fuck around with them for like two hours. Like, it's just a lot of fun. Um, and they get their get songs in techniques. front of other people too, you know? No, totally. It's become a bit more of like a communal hub. And what I've wanted to do for ages is like a mega collab with my fans. And finally, I think it was like four weeks now I've been working on it. Every Sunday, uh, they all send me a ton of samples and I try to flip them. And it's just been a really fun and engaging time with the community. And it's like, kind of like, it's it's one thing to just be like, a fan of someone's music, but also it's another thing if the person treats you like a friend and you get to spend two hours with them as well as a ton of other people that are eager to get feedback and watch someone produce every single Sunday for free. Like, yeah, I find, I find getting fans is a lot more important than 15 bucks. Yeah. Sorry, don't at me. No, 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 no. I, I, def- I definitely agree with you. And I know everybody's in like a different position per se, but at the same time, like you're creating these relationships with people that are like endless, but that's really cool. Cause I've seen, I've seen a few people do the whole, like send in samples. I'm going to make a song with it, but going into kind of like that, like, do you guys, um, in your workflow, do you guys predominantly, uh, use MIDI or do you use like resampling or, or basic samples? Or are you guys kind of a very even distribution? I know the answer might be different for the both of you. Yeah, I'd say it's having worked with Sky, like I'd say both of our processes are pretty different. And that goes for really everyone at Rushdown. The one thing that, I mean, bugs me a little bit. It's not really a big deal. But um, every time I do one of my own streams, it's not as often as Jack's. His are like top quality compared to mine. Mine are ridiculous. Aww. But um, <laughs> every time I stream, <laughs> these are awesome. Question of like, who, um, or like, what, how do you make the, the color base sound? Or like, what's the secret to making color base? And I'm like, there isn't like a secret, like the way having, okay. So me, I've seen Ace Oris process, doing a little bit with him, um, Jack and Sharks. Those are the guys I really have like direct experience with. We all process our sounds very differently, very, mm-hmm. very differently. Like I, the whole convulsion thing that you mentioned at the start, I know Jack kind of pointed that out. Um, like that is something that me personally, I've, I've never even touched or delved into. I don't really use vocoders ever on my stuff. Yeah. A, for me personally, a lot of like phasers and things like that. But a okay. lot of my comes from MIDI straight from the VST. Uh, resampling only typically for the purpose of taking that sound I've made and then resampling that sound to go manipulating it. it. Um, but I try to usually for all my tracks and I know it's ridiculous. I'm just the guy who will like go through and spend way too long on every individual sound just cause I'm picky with it. And it ruins my workflow a lot of the time. It's why, um, in the past there've been huge gaps in my music, but I'm learning to, uh, to still spend that amount of time on a sound but not let it completely destroy my mood an hour in and just not keep working on the music. Right. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Jack? Um, yeah, similarly kind of, I don't spend too, too much time on each sound uh, when I'm actually working on the track, but what I've found is really fun is do a ton of weird shit when you're in the mood to like, cause kind of, you're kind of like twiddle random knobs, throw a recorder on the master. See if you get anything good. I know I've been messing with Harmer and Razor a lot lately for that. And uh, just build up an arsenal of those really cool tiny bits because uh, when you're in that kind of analytical sound designing mood, that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, then when you're actually sitting down and trying to write music, like a song someone's going to listen to, you're not going to... Me personally, I don't want to sit down and be like, all right, here we are at the drop. Time to sit down for two hours and make... One sound. Make the drop sound. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So instead, I kind of, I've kind of built up this massive folder over the past year of just sound design jams, um, dumb resampling, little glitches, percussion things, just like these little building blocks that I can kind of drag into a track, layer a ton of with each other, and create new sounds. And yeah, of course, I process the fuck out of them after I drag them out of the sample folder. But yeah. it's not like... I'm completely shaping a sound from scratch. So I guess my workflow is a mix of sample manipulation and MIDI because obviously I'm also a big fan of like the twiddly lead solos and the big lush chord stacks, which are obviously, you can only really do that in MIDI. Yeah. But um, as it's just for a, bases, an efficient yeah. effect. You know, it's just an, ef- an efficient way to approach your workflow. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, um, no producer except Dan and Dan's a wizard is infinitely in the same mindset of, of 
let's make this song the most technologically brilliant song ever and let's write an emotional heartfelt song like yeah. those moods never come to me at the no. same time correct so um so to kind of interrupt one thing to do another is just like well what the heck's the point of that and then you like lose the trajectory and you lose the momentum that you previously had I kind yeah, of no, approach definitely. it the same way as you with having sound design sessions and saving them in folders uh, per subgenre, and then and then moving on to when I'm ready to write, I'll have my drum grooves already done, and it's like okay, now we can start placing things like a puzzle. Mm. Yeah, part totally. of why I stopped streaming so often was just because of what Jack was mentioning of like whenever I would stream, it would start off as something. If people have been like, "Oh, Paper Skies is going to stream," you know, I'm excited to watch this because the shit that I can learn. But then people realize how slow I work almost, you know what I mean? And, and like, just ha- like it's, I was in a call with someone yesterday and they were like, only an idiot would spend like five hours on just a snare or something. I'm not going to say I spent five hours. No, that they're so wrong though. People but are unrealistic. Time, you know? It's like, I'm, I don't know. I, I like to spend a lot of time on those things and it kills the workflow for sure. But I just, I like going super in depth of things. Um, I know like you were mentioning earlier, what, you know, YouTube videos do people watch and stuff like me personally, I kind of never grew up trying to take too much influence from, from videos and stuff. I've learned mainly from either the producers I've been surrounded by or just reading through plugin manuals and stuff, because I try to, for every plugin I own to just read through the manual and learn exactly what everything does. And then absolutely kind of like science and wording behind it. So that if I ever am in a call, you know, with someone who's a bit more technically matched, I at least know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, that's really the only thing that I have any technical competence in. Like, I don't know anything in terms of computers, like hardware, um, nothing sciencey. I fucking flunked the courses almost in high school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when it comes to the science of, of music and sound design, mixing and mastering in particular, because I spent a whole year just focusing on mixing only in particular, which is why I didn't drop anything for like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that came with it. So the process is generally like try and make something nice, but still spend a lot of time on it. And even if a song I release sounds minimal and maybe, you know, nothing too complex, um, I hope people are able to somehow hear the the amount of work that goes into it. I'm not produ- producing for the sake of being like, wow, look at this, you know? It's yeah. more just, I make music I like, but I put effort into it just because I want to. There's no Absolutely. Idea. And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking time in it because like you only get one song, you know what I'm saying? Like that, I mean, you get one more than one song, obviously yeah, per yeah. project, but, but like that one song is done when you that release is, it, no, it's done. And, thing. and it, you know, if you want to take 10 hours on the snare, take fucking 10 hours on the snare. Like it doesn't matter. And I think, I think that the issue with that is like a lot of people really want to learn how to do this, but they don't understand the work it actually takes to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when they see like the slow workflow and the slow, this and the slow that like some people take two years on one song. Some people yeah. open up projects from four years ago and they, well, well, this sucks, but that one sound is cool. So I'm going to reformulate the whole entire project around this one sound. It's kind of like, what I think has been cool about this time in quarantine was it's opened that like unrealistic expectation of what producers actually do to be like, hey, because I've even tuned into like Eliminate's production streams, Peekaboo's production streams. Nobody's writing shit quickly. You know, they'll be on there for four hours and they're writing about 16 bars of music, which yeah. is really pretty realistic in a in an average, you know, uh conversation of how long it takes so you mr dan said you have uh pretty much a song a month coming out right uh yeah i've got like releases i mean so this is gonna come out in december right okay yes yeah 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 yeah. this is coming out in december okay so by now uh wow so i guess by now my affiliate release would have been out i got in contact with them recently um it's gonna be on their advent compilation no uh, way. Congratulations. We'll make sure it's in December now because I know you can't say that shit before it's out. Yeah, yeah. But that's huge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hopefully the country will still be intact. Hopefully Canada is still attached to the United States. We'll Pray see. to God. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's awesome. That's so dope. So that's coming out in November. Yeah. I sent them um, a remix for the, the Seven Lines remix competition. Yes. And uh, there was like, I believe, three rounds of voting for that. And um, we spent an endless amount of time working on that remix, just going super in-depth with it. Yeah. Um, I'm super happy with how it turned out. But it got turned down in like the first round of voting. Like we sent it in, uh, like the deadline, like 30 minutes before it was due. And I remember after that 30 minutes, when they started reviewing submissions, like 10 minutes into it, it was out. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I, I guess they I know Aces that. did too, and his was so good. But then they messaged me and basically said, um, "Hey, you know, we really enjoyed your remix. We just didn't think it was a good push because it has three artists on the remix thing, and yeah. that would make it various artists for the compilation, and not yeah. like you know the way they would want it on Spotify." So I was like, "Okay, that makes sense." 
And then they offered me an opportunity for that. I sent them a song and they enjoyed it. And, um, and now that's happening. Fuck um, yeah. If this is December, then there should be some upcoming news of some possible Rushdown stuff, I believe, around the corner then. Wonderful. Good, good. Happy to hear more stuff on Rushdown. What about you, uh, Jack? Uh, yeah, so by now, my Disciple release is out. <laughs> if we're in the December, which okay. is pretty wild. Um, compilation, and- single EP. It's on a compilation. It's basically okay. color based volume two if it was released on Disciple. I'm no literally way. going back to the going back to what you're saying before about how more people want to listen to melodic stuff. Disciple totally hopped on that. And well, they're releasing you saw a- what Virtual Riot just released, the song he released. Oh my god, it's so fucking oh, good. Yeah, it's so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so um yeah, uh, a lot of people like Sharks and uh Eric aka Sora and Chime, they all have tunes on there. And awesome. um it's you would listen to it and you'd be like, wait, this is Disciple? Like, um it's pretty crazy. So that's coming up, but by now it's been Fuck out. Yeah. Um also my Bygore release with Christian Hayward is probably out by now. Pyro? Uh, Bygore. Oh, that's a funny one. That one's it's called um Loveless. Okay. And that's on the their Fresh Blood Volume whatever compilation. Sick. New and new people on the label. It's nice. hilarious. Um the rest of the album is just tear out stuff that goes live. And, and then, then all of a sudden you got this then you and all of a sudden you've got this massive black sheep that's just like, ah, here we go. Chilled out microtonal melodic rhythm. Uh, <laughs> but as for it's things gonna around stand the, out. But as for things around the corner as that, um again, Rushdown will be announcing something I am on a part of I am part of. Sick. And uh, after that, I know I've got a ton of remixes and I actually poured a lot of my heart and soul into this, uh, this little project. I'm not going to get into it too much, but um, that's a pretty big deal. I think those are four of my favorite tunes I've ever made. They kind of focus on melodic rhythm. They've got, although the last song is something completely different and it's just... Um, it's really good. <laughs> I'm really, really excited for that to come out because I kind of felt Wonderful. like that was a bit of a reinvention of my sound like i started Ooh. these songs way before tunes like waterfall the disciple thing and um and uh the oliverse remix like some of these tunes came i started before then so to me that was like the new beginning where i kind of figured out what i want to write what it is and um yeah that's gonna come out and i put literally so many fucking hours into each track so oh that's so great hopefully people like it I'm sure they'll all love it. Well, you guys have like such promising futures ahead of you. I'm really excited to kind of keep moving forward and and there will be like a light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully you guys will be on some touring circuits in the next few years, which will be really fucking dope. I'm sure it'll happen regardless. But Dan, Jack, thank you guys so much for coming on. Please, everyone, if you haven't checked them out, check out their music, Skybreak and Paper Skies, massive releases. Thank you guys so much for coming on the EXO podcast. I hope you guys have a good day. All right. Goodbye, everyone. See ya. Bye-bye.